One in three fans of women's football are new to football. So not just new to women's football, but new to football. So when you think of that and the growth potential, and I think, you know, over 250 million fans expected over the next however many years, every metric is just going up, up, up. Hi, thanks for joining me here at the summit. We're here to talk to amazing and inspirational business leaders around their personal summit, their work summit, and everything in between. Today we're speaking with Yvonne, who's the CEO of Women in Football. Uh, we're really excited to talk to you today about the amazing uh, journey that, uh, that is going on in the whole space of Women in Football. So thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. So you're the CEO of Women in Football, and you've been doing that now role for about just over a year, is it? Yeah. So talk to me about why you wanted to do this job and what Women in Football is all about. Yeah, so we're a membership organisation. It's absolutely free to join. Um, And it's all about trying to create gender equality within the football industry. It's a hugely male-dominated industry. And women have got so much to bring to any sort of business, but particularly within within sport and football. So that's our mission. And we have individual members we support through training, education, celebrating their successes and all of that sort of stuff. And then on the flip side of that, we have programs and support for organisations, clubs, organisations that are involved in supporting the football industry to go, how do you become more gender inclusive? Because we can't assume people know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't sit here saying we know everything, but we have the voice of over 7,000 members and over 60,000 online who tell us what it feels like. And and so it's really important we articulate that and and move that industry forward because it's a great place to work. Yeah. What's what's the big picture in women in football? So you know, globally, what does the, the picture look like? What does it look like in the UK? And kind of where are we on that journey? You know, it feels to me like it's a massive growth opportunity uh, for the whole sector. I mean, women's football in particular is obviously on a huge trajectory mm. in this country. Um, the league has only been professional for a couple of years. You know, partners like Barclays have really sort of taken women's football on board and done a brilliant job there. So, And we've seen progress, you know, from five years it being professional to the Lionesses winning the women's Euros. Um quite unbelievable achievement really and and everything that sort of goes with that and so there's a lot of progress and there's a lot of progress in different countries if you look at America and other places you know they've also had a very speedy kind of um, I guess progress and successes Um, and that's largely been where kind of the national governing bodies have invested and had a strategy Mm. because lots of governing bodies will have a strategy but they don't put the investment behind it and therefore there's not really huge amounts of progress so We've seen a lot in that in that sense, and we've seen a lot more women working in the industry. So, from our membership, there is about eighty percent of our members work in men's football. We'll see that increasing over the coming years because more and more roles are becoming available now within the women's game. Um, in terms of the commercials and the opportunities there, obviously the Euros was a huge catalyst for commercial revenue into the game and, and into clubs, and we've seen season tickets, you know, go through the roof in terms of sales, but um, we've still got a long way to go in terms of, you know, really great playing standards, player care, all of that support that sort of sits around the team. There are some players, Lionesses in particular, who would um, have great endorsement deals. They probably earn more money from their endorsements than they do from actually playing. But there are other players in the Women's Championship, for example, who potentially need a part-time job. And they're meant to be full-time professional athletes. So there's a huge way to go. But we should not 
you know, underestimate the power and the inspiration and, and what's happening in the women's game. Like, it's it's super exciting. And we saw with the Lionesses, you know, calling out the government um, for equal access. And now that's being granted and there's investment coming into the back of that. So every young girl will have the opportunity to play football should she decide to. And everybody won't. Not everybody likes sport. I love it. Not everybody does, and I totally appreciate that. But the point is... Everyone should have the opportunity if they want to, and currently they don't. And so, so that's a massive legacy from that event. So what, what inspired you to want to do this role personally? Yeah, really great question. I mean, I've always worked in sport. I've absolutely loved it. And I spent a long time um, at Greater Sport, um, starting as a volunteer, actually, and then working right through to being CEO um, for four years. And then I left um, and went to work for Gary Neville, which was an amazing experience. And he created a role for me, and I learned an awful lot. Uh, with him, um, chose to leave there in lockdown. Um, a lot of the stuff I was working on was very much an international focus and COVID had hit yes. <laughs> um, and we didn't know when it was going to finish. So I sort of had a conversation with him, which was, you know, I can't really do that much and I'm not somebody that's just going to sit here. Um, why don't I leave? My husband was like, don't be ridiculous, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but I- I've always wanted to work for myself. I've always wanted to have my own business. I've had lots of interest in other things, but always had a job, that security, which is obviously massively important for any individual, never mind, you know, a mum of, of three. So I decided I was going to set up on my own. Gary was brilliant and, and that we'd come back to this project I was working on for him, but through my business. So he'd be my client rather than my boss and all of that. And, and so I set up Strive, um, which was such such a learning curve and I'm sure you've had many conversations with many people who start their own <laughs> businesses and you've done it yourselves like it's so hard um and then my intention was that's that's the future and I'll develop this portfolio of other things that I'm doing and I started to do that and then the day that um Jane who was the former CEO announced she was leaving women in football my phone was like hot like it was just ping 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 and all of these different kinds of people going, oh, my God, this role was made for you. You have to apply for this role. It's yours. It's yours. You've got to go for this. Um, and I was like, that's really kind. I'm not looking for a job. I've set up my own business. You know, this is what I'm doing. And I was probably, I don't know, maybe 12 months in at that point. Um, and I was, I had contracts. I had a pipeline. And it had been a lot of grit, sweat and tears, you know, to get yeah. to that point. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm not really looking for a job, but thank you. It's really great. I did have a little nosy and I looked at who was recruiting and they knew me because they'd approached me about a different role not not long before. And I thought, well, they know who I am. They've not been in touch. (laughs) So I obviously don't fit the mould, even though all these other people, anyway, sure enough, they did get in touch. And they're like, just meet me for a coffee. Just meet me. So so I did. Um, And it wasn't that I wasn't interested in the role or that I wouldn't have loved the opportunity. It was just that this was kind of my plan now. And what would it look like if I suddenly took a job? And it's really silly because I wouldn't say I'm an ego-driven person at all. But there was a point of me that thought, will it look like I failed if I take a job? Because I've told everyone I'm setting up my own business and I'm doing it. Why would I take a job? There was this like inner, inner thing in me. And I, and I don't know why really, but it was quite an interesting point of reflection for me. Anyway, I had a conversation, learned about the organisation a bit more. I'd, be, I'd been a member, but I did feel like a bit of a fraud as a member because I always worked in sport, but not football specifically. I worked with football but not in it. Um, I like the ethos of the board. I like the fact of the organisation and where it was. I think what I'm really great at is getting people on a bus. Like, I'm not really into the spreadsheets. I don't really want to do those kind of plans and all of that. I'll be really honest. I can do it. 
takes a lot of energy. What I want is to get people on that bus and let's go. I mean, they don't know where they're going, but it's fine, they'll come in, you know, and that, that yeah. really sort of excites me. And I'd never done a national role before, and I'd never done a role that would allow me to be commercially minded and really drive revenue in that way. And so they were two big things that were missing in yeah. my kind of repertoire, if you like. So, yeah, threw my hat in the ring. The rest is history, as they say. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you. As you said before, you know, we speak to lots of entrepreneurs who start a journey and they're going, and it's tough, right? It's, it's a roller coaster of a journey. And half of why they tell everyone what they're doing is also to push them to do it, right? Because mm. it's actually quite, in a way, when you are your own boss, it's easy to kind of say, well, I'm going to go to the gym instead of getting that done or, you know. Yeah. And actually holding yourself accountable is like a huge part of mm. <clears throat> the entrepreneurial journey. And um, it's fascinating what you said around this kind of the fear of what people might think about you yeah. making a particular choice or decision or if an entrepreneur doesn't actually do what they say they're going to do. Um, so, you know, massively, um, you know, lots of admiration for you making that choice, big choice. Yeah. yeah, it was a big decision. And like I say, there were those two key components for me that, that were missing in my professional career and I thought would help me in my future career. Plus also the fact that I love football. Yeah. I really believe in what the organisation does. That's been a key thing throughout my whole career. I've got to make a difference. And even when I set up my own consultancy, it was helping people or organisations be better and do better. And every single business that I'm involved with is about how can I make a difference that makes a difference to other people. Um, and I feel like that's so it sounds really cheesy, but it's like my calling to, just to, to help. I'm, I am off the scale of empathy as well. I've been psychometric tested to death. I really know that. Um, but I felt like where the organisation was to where I could take it, and there'll be a point where it needs somebody else to take it on, you know, and, and sort of move it forward. But I know within a few years, I can really, really help position it in a much stronger way, drive the revenue and all of that. And whilst doing something I love and probably the best like just the best moment was being at the final at Wembley with the Lionesses and I was with colleagues from the FA and, you know, I was lucky. We were in a box. It was really nice. But the, some people that I've worked with past and, and, and now and like goosebump moments and just knowing what everyone that's been involved in the women's game has done to contribute to that moment. It was and I just thought it's the best job ever isn't it like yeah, people were desperate to get into that yeah. stadium and I was there yeah. loving life um, I shouldn't have agreed to do an interview with the BBC at 5am the following morning <laughs> that was a big mistake um, <laughs> but anyway I, I did do it thank god it was radio obviously here at Fearless we we make a venture investment to startups so actually women's football has become something we've become quite interested in recently we made an investment into a company called Foudies oh I love it and they um, it was it's a fantastic business I mean Helen is you know super force of nature right super <laughs> super inspirational, uh, sort of really addressing what we believe is an unmet need in terms of, you know, yeah. official kit for, for women. Um, so I think, you know, as you see this whole, um, the women's football um, um, community build, you know, even people like us who are kind of venture capitalists, I guess, we're kind of investing in mm -hmm. the kind of periphery of this whole movement. Um, so I think, you know, as you said, it will become bigger and bigger and more and more people get involved. And I think, Absolutely. you know, from our perspective, we're super super excited about what women's football can be in the future and you know it's something we're really excited about yeah I, I think it's really interesting actually that whole dynamic I mean Helen yeah. is a force of nature and she's a women in football member yeah. um but you've got Miss Kick as well yeah. you've got a company called Ida they were the first kind of specialist um boot provider for women's yeah. um football boots so you, you'll 
because it's such a masculine sort of environment and women aren't always necessarily made to feel welcome, I think you will get a lot of females in that startup kind of mentality going, I'm going to do it myself, I'm going yeah. to do it better, I'm going to do it differently. Yeah. Um, and that's actually really kind of inspirational. And when you think of this kind of commercial opportunity, one in three fans of women's football are new to football. So not just new to women's football, but new to football. So when you think of that and the growth potential, and I think, you know, over 250 million fans expected over the next however many years, there's a UEFA report, I can't remember the figure off the top of my head, but every metric is just going up, up, up. So there's huge opportunities in this space. And I think with that, though, also there there is support that's needed. Yeah. You know, I just set up my own little consultancy and I, you know, I didn't want to get an accountant. I wanted to know how do I set up a business, you know, go on company's house, do it right. And it would have been easier to go and get, but I wanted to learn. But it wasn't that easy to navigate. And it's almost like for people like yourselves um, and others that not only are going to invest because there's potential commercial revenue return, but also because you believe in the cause and you've got that kind of ethical, moral kind of obligation. Like that mentorship for female entrepreneurs is really, really important. And I think, I don't know how widely accessible that is to people, but mm. that's a definite gap. And it would have been something that would have definitely helped me, even though I wasn't in that kind of massive commercial space. Um, and it's something that I feel really passionately about. And, you know, I do a lot of mentoring and, and supporting of other, not just women, actually, but other people, because I think I've had loads of support on my journey at all levels of, of my career. And it's important that we, we give back. Obviously, there's a huge history in terms of the lack of ability for women to participate equally in football with the FA, whether it's even at school and, you know, whether girls are allowed to play Mm -hmm. in the same team as boys and so on. Where are we on that journey? You know, what can institutions do? What can education do? What can the FA do to accelerate this journey? Yeah, I I mean, the FA banned women from playing football. It wasn't something they should do, apparently, uh, for 50 years. Um, And actually, I think last year came out and apologised for that. Um, And and the ban was obviously lifted lifted some time ago now, but um, it caused a massive gap, in, which makes it even more unbelievable, the success of the Lionesses in such a short space of time. Um, So people had to find a way to play you know, kind of underground. We, we've read so many stories from the current lionesses and former lionesses about cutting their hair short, pretending to be boys to be able to play. I mean, this is very real. Um, what I would say is things have definitely moved on. The FA invested, I think it was in 2017. They appointed Baroness Sue Campbell. They created a strategy. They backed it with investment. And the progress that's been made around women and girls playing, plus obviously now the equal access in schools for the opportunity to play football, has been significant, but there's still a long way to go. Um, I think from a point of view of societal kind of impressions, you know, if we think about young girls wanting to play, but then you have to make a choice to play and then you're judged for playing. You know, if you play football, you're a tomboy or you're this or you're that. Um, We've seen stuff where if you're a fan of football and you're a woman and you go to football, you're wearing too makeup, your top's too low, you look like a man because you've not made any effort. Like, women literally can't win whether you're on a pitch, off the pitch. Access to pitches is a real challenge. So when you think about um, grassroots sports and and the ability to capitalise on the excitement of the women's Euros and the success, and we've seen participation go through the roof, there's not enough facilities, and the facilities that exist are largely occupied by male teams that have been there for years and years, 
who aren't willing to give up their pitch time because they've got the capacity and they want to be using it. So we need a we need investment in facilities for women that are safe, that are accessible, yeah. and all of that side of things. And then I think from other organisational point of view, to make it more inclusive to women, um, we did a member survey in 2020 at Women in Football, and 66% of the women that responded said they had experienced sexism in the workplace in football. Mm. Only 12% reported it. Wow. So organisations can say they're inclusive, can have policies, but if your practice does not emulate what your policies are saying, you're not creating that environment where women feel safe, secure, included, not awkward because of the banter or the conversations, um, then then we're not there. And we're definitely not yet there yet. But I have seen in, in even you know my relatively short time at Women in Football, huge strides, clubs being interested, wanting to know, asking about, like genuinely asking, how can we be better at this and can you help us? Um, so I'm quite optimistic about the future, um, but we can't ever forget the past because when people say uh, women's teams, you know, Man United women shouldn't be playing at Old Trafford, they're not going to get the, the fans and then they get 30,000 fans or whatever and they go, yeah, but they've not filled it. Well, no, but they've only had a couple of seasons of being yeah. a professional team. Yeah, so, what you know, what back in the day before the ban, I think Dick Kerr ladies had 50-odd thousand people watching them play. Wow. Um, and I think that's possibly one of the reasons why women were no longer allowed to play yeah. because it was so successful. So yeah. we'll see what happens. The, the key is that I think women will motor on yeah. and, and that acceleration will be quick. It's just about making sure that people don't think because it's growing so quickly and they've been so successful as a national team and our league, the Barclays Women's Super League, is, is a really successful league. Everything's all good yeah. because there's still a lot, a lot, a to, lot do. to do. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, all of our portfolio companies have a female founder and it's not something by design. It's just right. how we've kind of come across this. And it's, you know, to your point, it's access piece. You know, actually people come here feel like, oh, this doesn't feel like, you know, a venture capitalist company. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like they want, they want to really understand me and help me yeah. and be part of the journey. So, you know, it's, I think access to opportunities and facilities and resources is huge, right? Yeah. Massively important. Definitely. But also women operate differently to men. So understanding that dynamic and knowing, you know, if you're loyal and if you show that you value and you give that support, you will get so much more back from yes. a female. Now, I'm not saying you wouldn't get more back from a man, but speaking as a woman and having worked with many of them, um, you know, I remember when I went off to have my third child in four years, I wasn't having any. That was like, I said, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm career all the way. And then I had Liam and then I had Clara and then, oops, <laughs> wow, there's another one. And I remember sitting with my boss and my back to kind of, from maternity back to work sort of conversation bursted out crying and he was like what's up he was like are you leaving I was like no and he's like well what and he went are you pregnant and I was like yes and he was <laughs> like you know he could have he could have had a face and he he was just like that's the most amazing news congratulations yeah, yeah, yeah. and every time certainly in in you know at those transition points in life where you become a mum for the first time or the third time whatever like you're really vulnerable because you think your career is going to go and, you know, someone's going to come in and do it better than you and all of this. And, and those responses and that value and that investment of time and care, genuine, authentic care, not just, yeah, we say it, but we don't actually live it. Um, you get so much more back, I think. Yeah. So one of the roles you're involved in a company helping sort of to be non-exec directors. Talk to us about that and how you got involved in that. Yeah. So a friend of mine talked to me about setting up this company. It's called Ball Connect. Um, there was... 
three other people involved at the time and he was like we'd really love you to be on board because I'm probably of, of all of them got the most experience in boards whether that's charitable or, or otherwise um I also work with them on another business which is called Y Sports which is like a sports policy events kind of company um, and it'd be like it'd be really great if you could get involved in this so it's a digital platform it's all about helping people who are aspiring to be non-exec directors or trustees or people who already are but want to build their portfolio, build their career and also build their skill sets to be able to be better in those spaces because I've experienced what good and bad looks like in a board uh, and, and within that sort of director circuit. So yeah, we, we've set that up. We've been going just over a year. We've got our first live event coming up in, in London in a couple of weeks. Um, and that's really exciting actually because it started from scratch. Digital isn't my forte, yeah. um, but governance, I guess, and, and that side of things is. So it's a really small team, um, but we're, we're, we're doing all right. Um, and, you know, we've got big plans for, for that to grow and um, we'll see what happens. One of my beliefs is, you know, non-execs are so powerfully important, I think, in companies. I mean, I don't have much experience in kind of charities and so yeah. on, but in large organisations, ultimately, they're the, they're the key to allow things to happen in organisations. The CEO is obviously driving um, and executing the strategy, but they really lean on and are looking for support from their, their board on yeah. a regular basis for a lot of things. And I often find, especially in UK companies, this non-exec sort of circuit that is, exists... Um, it's really limiting the prospects of the large companies in the UK. If we look at the FTSE 100, and it's kind of not the most dynamic of listing mm. uh, in the world. Um, and, and all these businesses really need to kind of transform to be modern businesses of the future, but are struggling to do so. You know, I, I genuinely it really does come from the leadership at the top, and that's above the CEO. That's really the board of the businesses. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I think building the next generation of non-execs to really empower CEOs and actually allow them to go and deliver and execute, I think could be really inspiring very interesting yeah thank you i mean a big thing for me was my experience in boardrooms particularly when i was younger um predominantly very male dominated areas mm-hmm. very white um very group thing <coughs> if i'm honest yeah, and and actually that diversity piece is so important when you look at kind of reports particularly within business having a diverse board leads to profitability mm. like all the evidence Completely. is there yeah. and that's not just about gender you know because people will say to me oh well we've got 50 percent of women working here but if all those women look like me then you've not got diversity yeah. you've just got gender split exactly. and and so it's about social backgrounds about ethnicity yeah. sexuality like all of these things and youth i think is really important if you think about a lot of boardrooms and businesses you know this digital era i i'm in my early 40s i've said digital is not my thing like yeah. Ultimately, digital is, is a skill that, you know, doesn't necessarily sit well with the older generation. Some people are great at it, but actually technology is moving so fast, whether that's social media and other things. So it's really important, I think, that as well as that sort of split in terms of gender and other characteristics to, to bring youth through into boards, because businesses will really value. And also, if we think of the kind of growth of that ESG agenda, that was a big thing that I sort of invested my time in when I set up Strive, understanding what that means, because I often speak to businesses who want to do good things, but they don't really know how. And so part of what I wanted to do was connect your desire to do good with my knowledge of a sporting network and and kind of join those dots. So I think young people in particular, we've we've seen lots of reports about them being more kind of... um, passionate about the environment or social purpose so 
there's lots of skills that can be brought in if we diversify boards. So that was a big fundamental factor around um, Board Connect. Like, we have to. What can differentiate us? Well, actually having a really diverse membership. Um, You know, and and I'm really pleased the panel that I've got um, that I'll be hosting at the event, you know, is very representative and it's really important. Our first live event, absolutely really important and and throughout. Um, So, yeah, we'll we'll see where that goes. But it's it's huge for me and something I'm very passionate about. Yeah, I think it's huge for the UK economy, personally. Unless we fix this, I genuinely don't see we'll find big companies doing really important things that are really going to transform the world. Yeah. You know, if you, if you, you know, even in the US, board diversity is a massive issue, but the more progress there, you see the large companies in the US, they're investing for the future. They're thinking about ESG. They're really mm-hmm. thinking about the environment much more than just the kind of the papers and the report. In the UK, we're nowhere near that, right? Yeah. And I think it's really, um, <clears throat> it's really affecting the UK growth prospects. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. The challenge, I think, and this is the challenge, again, if you look at football industry mm-hmm. and trying to diversify and have more women involved, what happens to the people already in those roles? Yeah. Because no one wants to vote for themselves to, to not be there because, you know, people have self-interest. Now, the right thing to do might be, but are people going to do it? And that's, the, that's a massive barrier. And it, that's culturally then, that's, that's the whole board, the organisation, the leadership and what that looks like. But, you know, we, we, organisations can create opportunities internships board internships like there's loads of things that you can do to try and if you've not got a formal board position to get new thinking and new blood into your boardroom and help people develop the skills along the way fascinating so you're involved in lots of different things right how do you kind of (coughs) compartmentalize your time and prioritize what you need to get done and 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 almost how do you how how do you be able to go deep in all these different areas yeah it's a great question um and i think i caveat it with i wasn't planning on having a job So I was building yeah. stuff yeah. Uh, and not planning on having a job. So with some of the things that I'm involved with, I've had to step back quite a lot um, because I can't be in the detail as, as much as I was. I'm there as, as needed and obviously I'll do uh, certain meetings, but they often kind of plan around my schedule really. Yeah. So early mornings, late yeah. evenings, whatever, just because obviously I've got a full-time job. Um, I have always been somebody that, and probably to both my parents and my husband's distress, <laughs> um, I just don't stop. I don't know what it is. I just there's something in me that just needs to be busy and needs to keep going and keep progressing in whatever. So I do like the idea of having lots of things. And I have to say, other than Luxie Box, which is obviously hair products, <laughs> um, everything else is connected in some way to sport. Yeah. So it's very complementary. Foundation 92 and the amazing work we do there in social purpose through football is linked to um, the previous role that I'd done with Gary. Um, and, and it's about creating opportunities within Salford and Greater Manchester. But it's a sport. And, and ultimately, I'm obviously working in football now. So it's good to have that CCO view of, of what that looks like. Why sports? It delivers events yeah. in sports policy and so on. Board Connects obviously helps because the more you learn about governance because they say to me oh you're the governance expert that terrifies me because <laughs> I'm like I know a bit about governance but I wouldn't class myself <clears throat> as a governance expert so actually all the time the conversations you have you're learning um, so sometimes I don't get that balance right um, and I'm acutely aware of that and I'm probably quite harsh on myself for that yeah. as well as being a mum and a wife and a friend and a sister and you know yeah, yeah. dog mum too so you've got all of this stuff you're trying to spin I wouldn't say I've necessarily got it right. Um, 
I have peaks and troughs, but I guess that's life and it, it's the way that you choose to live, I suppose. Like, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have lots, lots going on, but every now and then it would be nice to just have a chill day. <laughs> what do you do to relax? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I like to go to the gym, although I haven't been for several <laughs> weeks, which is really bad. Um, because work's kind of got in the yeah. way. And when I say that out loud, I'm fuming with myself yeah. because my whole career has been about you need to move more, you need to be active. Yeah. Um, and I know I'm a better person. Like, I might dread going, but when I come out, I'm buzzing yeah. and I'm a better person. I eat better, I sleep better, all of that. Yeah. But then sometimes work gets in the way. So Jim definitely, uh, walk the dog, chill with the kids. Um, my 12-year-old put me through my paces in basketball last night. I can still beat him, but only just. I can't beat him with football anymore, but I can still nail the shots on the basketball. So that's that's good. So, yeah, just that sort of thing. I love spending time with my friends. I don't get to do it as often as I'd like. But, you know, you've got to try and fit exactly. fit everyone in. Uh, sometimes just just a bath, like <laughs> with the door locked and just having said to everyone, please don't just give me half an hour. Yeah. It sounds really silly, but just half an hour of peace is yeah. very hard to come by unless everyone's asleep in my house. <laughs> And what does your summit look like? Are you there? Are you on the way there? Do you know, do you know where you're going? Um, I guess personally, like my kids to be happy and successful and, and, and maybe just for some contentment. Mm. I'm always looking for that next thing. It'd just be nice to just, just chill on, just be happy. You've got amazing stuff, professional, you know, family. I'm really lucky in that way. Um, professionally, I'm definitely not, not there yet. I think this role is really helping me fulfil some of the things that I've not been able to do. I've also never worked in a remote organisation before. I mean, that's interesting in itself, isn't it? I'm very much a walk into the office, get the vibe. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to make a brew. Do you want to come with me? I can just sense immediately. I've got this sixth sense. That's really hard technology-wise. Um, so, yeah, this role's really helping me develop professionally. But I guess long-term... I would like to have that portfolio of businesses that I'm involved with that would give me that point of difference, but where I could nurture, you know, that leadership team and, and that type of thing, but but just keep learning. So I don't know what the summit quite looks like. I would probably like a bit more time off as well. Um, <laughs> that would be quite nice. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to get there or, or how, but I like that blend of things yeah. uh, and being able to add value where I can, but also happy to stay in my lane and I, yeah. I would never profess to be an expert in things I'm not. Well, honestly, what an inspirational journey. Sounds like you've got a lot more to, to do. <laughs> um, and, and the world needs more people like you, honestly, you know, really championing diversity, championing, you know, really bringing more women to football is a huge, you know, objective. And yeah, thank you from my, from my perspective, but, you know, very inspiring. And thank you for the conversation today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thanks for joining the summit today. Please subscribe and uh, leave a review. Uh, we really, really appreciate all the feedback we get. And if you've got any ideas of future guests that we should have here on the summit, please let us know. Thank you. <laughs>